0: outside of the three businesses that I built and scaled and sold, I've been on the brand side where we've gone from, you know, the tens of millions to the hundreds of millions twice. I'm
1: Jim Huffman, and this is If I Was Starting Today, a collection of conversations about half-baked startup ideas, growth tactics, and stories from founders, including my own journey as a business owner. All of the content is centered around one question. What would you do if you were starting today? Today on the podcast, I have Nick Harris. He's the CEO of splittesting.com that actually sold to Acadia. So I guess now he's a partner there. And we talk about a story. It's, it's super interesting from the early days of him getting a job to buy a boat when he was 13 to starting multiple companies, selling them, how he came on as the CEO of split testing. And basically within a year, grew at 800% and sold it to Acadia. We talk about like, if you're starting something new, what to do with the first 30, 60 days to come in, learn, assess, and have an impact. Uh, I learned some interesting tips around being customer-centric and having a what not to do list. We then talk about some of his success stories of growth and what he did to pull it off. And then we talk about the impact of companies that do testing versus ones that don't. This was a fun conversation, kind of wide ranging. So if you're at all someone that's looking to have an impact on um, a new job you're taking, a new company you're starting, I think you're gonna get a lot out of this one with Nick. So hope you enjoy the episode. All right, today on the podcast, I have Nick Harris. Nick is someone where we could call ourselves Twitter friends, maybe, or ex-friends. I don't know what we even call that platform these days, but I just love the content you've been putting out there. And you kind of said a no, like, oh, I'd love to do more podcasts. I was like, you're coming on mine. Let's go. So Nick, welcome to the
0: podcast. Thank you for the invite and thank you for having me. Yeah, of course, man. So
1: first off, like, how do you introduce yourself? as far as like, from a professional standpoint, what you do, because I was going through all this stuff you've done, and I was like, man, there's a lot of paths we could go down. But how do you introduce yourself?
0: Yeah, I've done a lot over 31 years. I usually just introduce myself as someone who wants to genuinely help, right? Mm -hmm. Even in a professional setting, that's really what I offer, is like, hey, I have a breadth of experience. I'm happy to talk about particulars, right? But I just want to help. So. Let's just have a conversation, ask some questions, go back and forth. But, you know, history is something like this. We grew up, you know, kind of poor in a small town. I have an older brother who was really into technology. Basically, he was running like a a video game rental center out of our shed before there was like a blockbuster or anything. And so, you know, I was really into technology. I knew computers well. So I did odd jobs and saved up money to buy a computer out of an old... It was like this huge magazine called Computer Shopper back in the day. And I bought and resold the computer and I attached a service contract to it. And I did that a couple of times all because I just wanted to buy a boat so I could go fishing with my dad rather than like shore fishing. And so I I did it. I bought a boat and a trailer at 13 years old. And that's kind of how it got started for me is I just, I had a goal. (laughs) I used what was available to me to to get it done. So as we go to your professional career, like how, how did all
1: this get started, starting to go down this entrepreneurial path?
0: And like I said, I started a business when I was really young. And then I, Walmart came to town, so I went to work there. I worked at the little local computer shop, moved down to Phoenix when I was 18, worked for CompUSA at Inside Sales. I landed some of the largest accounts they've ever had. And... After hitting my commission cap, I got kind of burnt, and I was like, "Well, that doesn't seem fair. I'm, I'm the one doing this." So, left, started a business with my with my brother. At the time, it was called a VAR, like a value added reseller. This is before people could buy computer components off the internet or readily available off shelves. Did that. The 2000.com dot com bubble smashed us because we were overextended. I did some more stints inside of retail, but like at you know senior leadership positions when I was in my early 20s. Got burnt, started my own services company, got that acquired eight years later. My wife got pregnant with our first, and so I was told I had to get a real job, right? So I went back into corporate America, had some stints at some fairly large corporations. Just a lot of great experience throughout my career. I was just lucky. Like I just kept lucking into it, right? Don't have a college degree. You know, I, I think I graduated high school with like a 2.8 or something. I kind of phoned it in. I was able to express to people like, if you want stuff done, I'm the guy. Like I will get shit done. Mm -hmm. It just happens. And so, you know, I did that a couple of times. And then I ended up meeting Dylan Ander last March. He hired me to come run split testing and grow it and get us acquired. And that's what we did. And now I'm, I'm a partner at a much larger agency called Acadia.
1: Yeah. So talk about, I mean, that's pretty impressive. So you came in in the CEO role, is that correct? At Split Testing, did he hire you to essentially replace him to, to run the ship there?
0: Yeah, yeah. He had some other ambitions, some other plans. You know, he's incredibly smart at CRO and really wants to be the face of it. And running an agency is taxing. It takes a lot of time. And so it just made sense. You know, I love services. I've always loved services. So for me, it was... Fun and frankly, kind of easy, and so it just it worked.
1: Yeah. So, what was it about you? Do you think that made him want to have you come in and be the CEO? Because, like, as someone that runs an agency and then handing the keys to somebody, they're, they're, those are huge shoes to fill, right? Sure. Was it the fact that you'd were be, been there, done that, or what? What got his attention? Do you think?
0: Probably a couple things. One, I ask a lot of very sincere questions because I don't want to commit to something unless. I feel very confident about it, right? So I had a very genuine interest in what he was doing and what he wanted it to become. So I think that gave him a certain level of confidence that, hey, this guy actually cares and and can execute on what I've been trying to accomplish, right? The other side of that is, you know, outside of the three businesses that I built and scaled and sold, I've been on the brand side where we've gone from you know, the tens of millions to the hundreds of millions twice, right? Mm -hmm. So like I have this, like, I think, I think most agency people should do a stint inside of a big brand to really understand and feel what it's like to navigate politics and red tape and have a lot of patience. Mm -hmm. It's very valuable, very valuable. Yeah.
1: No. So he saw that you had done it on the brand side and you had sold other companies. So was he hiring you with that in mind? It's like this person knows how to sell companies as opposed to just an operator.
0: The initial conversations I don't think were around getting acquired. Mm
1: -hmm. I think
0: it was just about freeing up his time, right? To go do these other things. Acquisition talk came a little later after we had grown the team to a certain amount. We'd grown the business, you know, like 700, 800% or something over the course of like eight or nine months. Mm Mm-hmm. It just seemed like the right move for Mm -hmm. our team to join a company that had made its way through the messy middle and sort of just leapfrog towards better benefits, more security, stability, those kind of things, Mm -hmm. rather than just he and I just push through it. Right. We knew we could do it, it would just take longer, but Mm -hmm. kind of felt like for the team's sake, it just made more sense.
1: Gotcha. I mean that that's pretty impressive. It's like you come in within 9 months, there's 800% growth and then there's a sell like what were some of the keys in those first 30 60 days where you could come in and and have an impact like that? Cuz I think a lot of people listening as they like make leaps to either start their own thing or to go to something it's like right when you start day one, the clock starts ticking and you're like, how do I have an impact? Because it's like paralysis analysis, right? With all the things you could do. I I even struggle with that myself. As we look at our quarterly goals, it's like, okay, it's not what you say yes to, it's what you say no to.
0: You just said it. It's what you say no to. So Mm -hmm. when when I consult any business or when I came over to join split testing, it was really getting extreme clarity on the goals, right? And in this case, it was like, what do the clients care about, and what does service delivery look like, right? Mm-hmm. Once we gained that level of clarity, it became apparent that lots of things didn't need done. There were a couple new things that needed to be added, right? But you know, when you're when you're building a business or when you're going through the motions of a business, you you tend to add on more than subtract. That's just mm-hmm. behavior. That's just what people do. They, well, we've always done it this way, so we keep doing it that way. Okay, but is that the best? I don't know, right? So, even now, every quarter, I I pull the the leaders of my team together, and we we have a meeting of what can we do less of, what can we stop doing, and what boundaries do we need to shore up, right? Like we do mm-hmm. that every ninety days. Sometimes there's changes. Sometimes there's not. But it's a very important exercise. Even to like poke them that even
1: more. So that's like leadership team or executive team, it's a standing meeting and everyone comes to it with like, okay, this is like what we're doing. We need to stop there. Like give more detail on that because I think that's something everyone, at least I'm guilty of, you focus on like, oh, what you should be doing, want to do more of. And then you look at your plate, you're like, oh crap. Once again, I signed up for way too much. Like give more color on how you have that discipline because that is freaking hard. <laughs> you know?
0: Yeah. Um Okay. So the discipline comes from having a customer-centric mindset, right? So anything we're going to do, new or continue, it has to benefit our customer. Mm -hmm. If it's not a direct benefit to the customer, we try to to kill it, right? Mm -hmm. Now, there's certain things operationally that you have to do, but even, you know, I can argue that everything's a benefit to the customer, even if you're doing it operationally behind the scenes, right? It allows you to support the business to help the customer. So it's really like having a very customer-centric mindset. Mm -hmm. And so, you know, going through the motions of, say, a project management system, right? There might be 10 internal steps, but only half of those impact the customer's experience. Yeah. Right? So then we look at the remaining five and we just say, well, who's benefiting from these, Mm -hmm. right? And sometimes there's an internal member who's benefiting. And sometimes it's just like, yeah, I don't know why we're doing that. Nobody knows. We just, we inherited mm-hmm. it, so we do it. Right? So I guess to, to drill down into it, it's you really got to empathize with your customer's experience and start to look at everything through that lens. That's mm-hmm. how we do it.
1: Gotcha. So that customer-centric mind, it's like, does this matter? Does it have an impact? Does it give them a magic moment? Or are we just doing it because we're doing it? And I like the idea of having that not as like a one time meeting but on a cadence because like whether you like in develop developer terms like tech debt these things start to bloat and add up and if yeah. you don't stay lean oh man it can get out of control. No that, that's super interesting. So and so you come in you're like all right what are we doing what are we not doing let me have this cons- customer centric approach get it dialed in to maximize value and then where did the growth come from? Was it existing demand that you're able to capture or was it like having a go to market strategy or is it like land and expand with clients? Cause I think everyone's trying to figure out like how you make a non-linear leap like that. Cause th- th- those those are huge wins.
0: Yeah, so it was it was a matter of instilling confidence in the service delivery, right? Raising prices, cause we were not charging enough for what we were doing. And the team, the team that we brought in, it's a premium service. So we started mm-hmm. to price ourselves as a premium service. And mm-hmm. you know, coming from a coming from a brand, I will tell you that every agency they just commoditized, right? Like, mm-hmm. there's people that will charge hundred bucks. There's people that will charge hundred thousand bucks, right? Mm-hmm. Bigger brands don't typically look at low-cost services because they just make assumptions. They say, well, they can't be that good. They can't Mm -hmm. be affording the type of talent that we want working on our brand. Mm -hmm. So by raising prices, you get to fake it till you make it kind of thing, right? Mm -hmm. So that was part of it. The other part of it was, you know, a lot of it was inbound, but a lot of it was on the sales calls. You could very confidently say you're getting tremendous experience and some of the best in the space, yeah, right? Yeah. So we, so, so like I brought over very experienced people mm-hmm. into our team, right? Knowing that it's labor costs is going to be painful for a little bit, but we'll make it up by delivering stellar service to the type of brands we want to work with. And mm-hmm. then we started getting referrals. Like most of our business today is referral based. Mm-hmm. gotcha so it's like increasing the
1: pricing having the team to support it um and then doing quality work and getting referrals the, um one thing that I think bootstrap companies struggle with is that that messy middle part or that part of growth where you need to have that a plus talent but it's like if you're not charging that rate yet how are you funding that it's like you have to wait for the growth do you dip into cash reserves and how you kind of land that plane I don't know if money had been raised or if it was all bootstrapped. But like, how do you think about doing that dance with with growth, like managing like the reality of the business model?
0: Sure. So I will tell you how I've done it every time. Mm-hmm. Just tell the client. I just tell customers. Like, hey, I I know you got a referral from, you know, Billy, who's paying us 60 6, dollars a month. We don't charge that anymore. Now we charge 15. Right. But mm-hmm. here's what here's what the difference looks like right? A plus talent, operational excellence, service delivery is through the roof. Our win rate is way higher than it used to be. All these Mm -hmm. things, right? We guarantee our service now where we couldn't before, right? Like Mm -hmm. there's lots of ways you can say it. And you know, that's just my method, because I'm just a very forthright person. It's not for everybody. You know, you could massage that in sales. But really, it's something kind of just on the nose. Like we're Mm -hmm. growing, we're getting better our price goes up. Mhm. Yeah, so so I wouldn't like I never dipped into cash reserves. I never raised capital. I always did it by just delivering a better service and being very very blunt and proud about it. Yeah. Yeah,
1: it's almost like I struggle with that sometimes on calls, but what I've learned is like you just say the number and the price and then you shut up. And you just let it sit there rather than the like ne- negotiate against yourself, which has been a, a tough lesson to learn because that awkward silence for some people can be deafening, right?
0: Yeah, you got to let it hang out there though. You just got to let it there. sit. You, you said your price. See what
1: they say. Yeah, totally. I mean, do you, did you struggle with, it's like you can say the price, but it's like some people, they just can't afford it because I, I see a struggle with, You can always get these constant type of clients, but to go up, you need to maybe think differently on how you get business that are at that other tier. It's like, oh, what we did before doesn't work. Did you have to think differently on a go-to-market or customer acquisition strategy? Because maybe the the budget's changed.
0: Yeah, I think it's more of of a who you're dealing with change. So it's like how you talk about it right? At a certain size of business, you can just be kind of chummy about it. Like, hey, we're going to try, like in our case, right? We're going to try to improve your conversion rate and get you some more revenue and maybe that'll work, right? And then you talk about some tactics because they're tactically minded. They're smaller businesses. Yeah. As you get to bigger businesses, you've got to talk to them differently. You've got to talk to them about long-term growth, sustainability. You've got to talk to them about upskilling their team, You've yeah. got to talk to them about, you know, we want to understand your strategy. We want to be your partner in growth. We want to do X, Y, Z with you and steer clear of tactics. They, they're talking to you because there's an assumption you know what you're doing. Mm-hmm. Don't go into the weeds. They don't want that. They want long-term, smart people that they can invest in because on their side, it's a lot of resources to spin up to offboard their current agency, to onboard a new one, to mm-hmm. get through all their red tape, to get budget approval, to get financing, to put you in the budget for next year. Like there's so much more work they have to do in considering you. Like you just have to talk to them at their stage of business, which is very different as you get bigger and bigger.
1: Yeah, it's much more strategic and bigger picture. That, that's a great call out. So so you come in, you're tasked with like being the captain, it's like you're figuring out what to do in the spirit of the customer, what not to do in the spirit of the customer, raising prices, bringing in an A-team. You have all this momentum. And then at what point does this acquisition start to become something that becomes very, very real? Was this just kind of serendipity falling into your
0: guys' lap? No, we put ourselves out there a little bit. Maybe nine, 10 months later, we started to sort of shop ourselves around. Nice.
1: And did you have to use a
0: broker or was
1: it kind of just doing, you maybe knew some potential like strategic acquires?
0: We had, we had a lot of interested parties. We ended up going with somebody who found us through a brokerage. Nice. Yeah. Yeah. But initially it was just, it was just exercising networks, my network, Dylan's network. We just had a, we just happened to know a lot of people.
1: Yeah. Yeah. That's cool. And what what do you think was so appetizing for the strategic partner? I know that like CRO is kind of like a high demand service offering. Is it like the category and the fact that you guys are kind of like best in class there? Like th- for people that have agencies are like, oh wow, I want to build something to sell. Mm-hmm. Like if you kind of look back, you're like, oh, this is what was good, or oh, I wish we would have done that differently. Like anything leading up to a sell that, that you're kind of reflecting on.
0: Well, in our case, you know, CRO is at its best when it works in harmony with other services, Mm -hmm. right? Because CRO is sort of the tide that lifts all ships, right? When done well and in concert with other things. So I think for our case, it was great timing, right? And Mm -hmm. we had this growth trajectory that was just stellar, right? Mm -hmm. For other businesses, though, you know, if I was to advise anybody on you know, what to do next, where to expand next. I would probably go where their customers are most likely to add on, right? Mm-hmm. So like, I wouldn't say introduce something because it's easy or familiar or popular, right? Like CRO right now is super trendy, but that's because of paid inflation and all these other things. So people are starting to look at other ways to maximize the revenue, right? Mm-hmm. I still think there's plenty of opportunity for other services and other products to be brought in that are not necessarily CRO because CRO done poorly, it's a super hard sell, Mm -hmm. right? It's all your, it's all statistics. So if you're Mm not really buttoned up, it's kind of hard to believe the results often, right? Mm -hmm. so I would, I would caution and advise founders, owners, operators to just ask their customers. Like, hey, we're, listen, we're looking to grow. We appreciate you being with us. What's something we could bring that would be helpful? Right? Mm-hmm. Ask them all. You'll get enough answers that are similar that you'll you kind of know where to invest next. Yeah. And it might not, might not be anything. They might just say, why are you, I would prefer you just double down and keep doing a good job on what you're doing. And that is mm-hmm. also a great answer to hear.
1: Yeah. Right? It's like, it's going great. Keep it up. Yeah. That's so cool. I love the customer centric approach on all of it. So I want to rewind a little bit. You mentioned growing brands to like eight, nine figures. I, I'd love to hear that story as far as like what you're referring to exactly before split testing.
0: Okay. Yeah, I'm not going to say the names, but it was, it was just, I'm a, I've been an entrepreneur for such a long time. And when you get into bigger brands and you have an entrepreneurial mindset, and like a sort mm-hmm. of take, I don't like, like, no is not a great answer for me. It is now, mm-hmm. but at the time I was trying to make an a name for myself, right? Mm-hmm. Big businesses, especially businesses that are making money, right? They do a very, very poor job at identifying opportunity. Mm-hmm. They tend to just stick with what's working and amplify it through dollars. Yeah. which is fine, right? Um, But in both of the cases that I went to, um one was their marketing at large was just subpar, mm-hmm. right? Like they were doing things because you're supposed to do them, like paid. They were doing paid because you're supposed to, but they were getting like, you know, a 1.5 ROAS, right? Mm-hmm. Well, me being the, hot shit I was. I put together a deck, presented it to the president and said, I'll get this to 800% in four months. Did it, right? Mm-hmm. Actually ended up at 1,200% return on ad spend and we're spending like three or 400,000 a month, mm-hmm. right? Like, so it's a, these are big numbers. Then doing that, there's like, it opens up all this other opportunity for you to sort of stretch and test and try things out. So, and in the other case, it was similar, right? I went in there and, you know, they were top-notch at media buying. I couldn't Mm -hmm. help. But where I could help was conversion rates along the funnel, right? Let's optimize these funnels. You guys are great at acquiring customers, but we're not that great at upselling and cross-selling and improving Mm -hmm. LTV, right? So let me break down these funnels and improve them. In both of those cases, I had teams of like, you know, 30 to 60 people, maybe 70 people. So it was a lot of it's really looking at what we're not doing or not doing well rather than trying to just jump on the ship and keep doing what we are or manage what we're doing. That mm-hmm. yeah, doesn't... Most big brands, they just kind of... They get used to what works and they stick with it, right? And then they, they find know. growth through raising, price, raising prices or introducing new products or something. But they're not great at expanding marketing channels and acquisition. Yeah. H- how do you think...
1: Differently on, like, because it is so easy. Like, you know, I were even talking before, like, people want the cheat code, people want the shortcut. I want the cheat code and the shortcut, right? I'll throw myself in there. But, and it's easy to be like, there's so many kind of copy brands, like, okay, you know, Dollar Shave Club did this. I'm going to follow that path, viral video, then do ads. It works out great. But problem is when everybody copies, like, customers just get immune to it. How do mm-hmm. you, like, kind of have, like, your own first, first, principle approach to growth because you brought up a good point like oh they're doing it because that's what you do but like how do you come in and have the discipline to have original thoughts that are true to the brand or true to the customer and what they need like any advice on how to approach that because I think we all get stuck and be like oh it worked well for that brand let me try it for me and maybe that's the lazy way and we're just being lazy I don't know
0: I don't think it's lazy I think it's sometimes it's hard to have original thoughts or inspiration, right? And I'm not going to claim that that my way is, is the best way or even a good way. I am a tireless learner. Like I will read, I, I mean, I, I just read a tremendous amount. I just assimilate information. I'm very fortunate in that way, right? So that's part of it is I just have a big advantage because I take in a lot of information every day. So I'd say that's like That's just one thing I'm lucky to have. But when I go into a brand, I don't think that helps me that much initially. What helps me when I go into a brand is I really, it goes back to customer centricity, man. I pull out this big, huge, long empathy map and I go around internally and I interview all the different heads of departments or people in departments, right? And I'm like, hey, you know, you manage this piece of our company, right? how do you think this is for our customers, right? And then I've got all these different points I go through from pre-sale to post-sale to customer support, right? All these things. And I really kind of one to 10 everything. And if you do that enough with enough people inside the company, and then you reach out to some customers and you're able to validate it or get close to validating the numbers that you've got internally, right? Usually they're a lot lower when you talk to customers. You have specific areas to focus on yeah right, like, in a lot of the cases, like like the brand where I mentioned like the marketing department was just not great, right, mm-hmm. and I took the return on ad spend through the roof. I'm not kidding you, it was two customers I talked to, and I simply asked them, why did you buy from us? Mm-hmm. That's all I asked why yeah, and in their answers, I got entirely new ad copy, entirely mm-hmm. new landing page copy because not a single ad we were running talked to the reason that people were buying from us. Yeah. It was that simple. It really was. It was no secret. I just talked to two customers, validated it with a bunch of other data, and then we started running ads that talked to the value that people were creating themselves on our behalf, basically talking themselves into buying our products. Mm-hmm. <laughs> so yeah. when we made this simple change, it just went through the roof. That's yeah. why I knew I could put that number in front of it. Isn't it
1: funny? Like more stuff I read of like really good thing. I think Paul Graham just did a post that we were talking about on like how to do great work, and it talks about not leading with the answer, but leading with the right question. And that's another thing. As you're kind of talking about being customer centric, it's that means like listening rather than talking, right? And asking questions. So like, as people they're going to a new job, they're talking to. to their new coworkers, or their new staff, or they're talking to customers. This might be a dumb question, but like, how do you listen well and extract out like the 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 essence of it, right? Because I think that's a superpower if you become really good at that. Because you're saying all I needed them to do was answer this one question that gave me the ad copy, the landing page copy. Um, like, add more color on that if you don't mind.
0: Sure. Not a dumb question. It's a great question. It's an important <laughs> question. All right, good. People get wrong all the time. Yeah. Um, so there's, there's usually like, there's a couple types of people, right? There's, there's people who are listening to listen. And then there's people who are waiting to speak. Oh, yeah. <laughs>
1: right?
0: So to actively listen is hard and it does take practice. But when I'm talking to like a customer, I limit every distraction when I'm talking to people inside of a company, you know, and I go to their desk when we were in office, I would ask them to turn away from their monitor, turn it off, can can we go sit over here, right? Because I don't want them seeing a ding, seeing an email, reading a chat, like I'm trying to actually get information from you and I want you to hear the information I have. So part of it is like going into it with real sincerity, to learn and to listen to what you're trying to get out of the conversation, right? And so in this case, have clear goals and share the goal with the person, right? Like, you know, hey, Jim, I'm trying to have a really good podcast here. What could I do to make sure this is a good podcast for your audience? And then I need to shut up and listen. Yeah. Right, (laughs) don't pay attention to anything else, just listen. So it's, it's like, it, it's, it sounds basic, it's practice. It takes a lot of practice.
1: Mm-hmm. Yeah, I think that's something that can be applied to so many different phases of a business. If you're trying to be a good leader, to motivate and inspire, like do that with your employees or your team, do that with customers. No, man, it, it's so funny. Like it's it sounds so simple. It's like just come in and be curious and ask questions, but it's transformative because every... Not everyone, but you kind of want to be the rainmaker sometimes. You want to be the person that comes in and has the mic drop moment where it's like, and that's how you do it. And you walk out to the standing ovation, but it's like, it doesn't work like that, right? Or at least not for me. It
0: (laughs) can't. It's it's just not in the timing that most people want. But along with being a, a a, a really great listener, you've got to have a lot of patience. Mm-hmm. patience with yourself, patience with others. Like what I mean is this, if I'm in a meeting or I am or I asked a customer for their time and they're giving it to me, right? You have to understand that 90% of that time is going to be kind of fluff, mm-hmm. right? It's going to be feelings. It's going to be them sharing whatever they feel like sharing because you offered your time and they're taking advantage of it. Everybody it's likes totally to offer, like, right? Yeah. So you have to have the patience to get through that and pay attention because they'll pick up on it if you start to stray. Mm-hmm. Then, in the last 10%, you can summarize it all and be the brilliant guy in the room. And they're like, oh, man, he picked up on everything everybody said. That was incredible.
1: Yeah. That's true. It's, yeah. If you look at your best conversation, sometimes it's to the person that listened the best, not spoke the best, right? Because you, you feel heard and valued. That's very cool. It's also how you build a lot of trust. Yeah, well, yeah, which is everything if you're trying to be a leader and run a business. Cause if you don't have that, then geez, good luck. I, I'm interested. So it's like, you know, you've had these awesome like wins and success stories. You've then like, okay, gone to split testing, grown it. We're part of acquisition. Now at Acadia, you're a partner and I assume, you know, much bigger service provider, probably roll up of some other agencies. Like talk about life now as far as like the role there versus split testing and like the hats you wear versus like where you're super anyway we'll we'll start there but I'm interested to see how that transition has been
0: transition's been pretty easy we're still kind of operating independently so I don't have mm-hmm. a, I don't have a ton to add there right now because you know part of the acquisition was there's going to be this sort of year long let's just keep doing what we're doing keep growing how we're growing and then we'll integrate you know some things operationally and financially but for the most part, our service is still operating. Like I'm like a de facto CEO of our team still, being a partner at Acadia. Next year I think that'll change.
1: Gotcha. It's yeah. okay. Um well, I guess that's kind of nice for the transition. What what has changed as far as like with split testing, like post acquisition? It's like, okay, we go even more aggressive to hit certain goals, or is it, hey, we have a little bit more security or there's a little bit, now that we have this parent company, anything that's changed there with like, like what you're looking at for the future of it?
0: Yeah, the goals are higher um, because we want to be a a good contributor to the larger company. Right. Mm -hmm. Uh, There's six other service lines. So, you know, we've got a lot of internal training to do. We've got to make, we've got to, We've got to help other business units understand that CRO is incredibly beneficial to their customers. But we want to be cognizant that it doesn't come off as just like an, a lazy upsell or cross sell. Right. Yeah. So we, want, we want to really bring value. So we've spent a lot of time now building case studies, partnering with the business units, partnering with our sales team, and educating on CRO because, you know, I've been doing CRO. I, I did my first blood test in 1998. Um, Mm -hmm. Brittany, who's our VP of client strategy has been doing it for maybe 16, 17 years. So we have, you know, for us, it's like innate and normal. And sometimes we're just like, how does not every business do this? (laughs) Um, (laughs) Yeah. And so we have to like, we have to rewind the clock and and really start to understand how to rebuild and share the value and the benefit. But again, not, not to come off like a money grab. You know what I mean? Yeah. Yeah. And like, what hat
1: are you wearing the most right now? Is it like sales hat? Is it like training, hiring? Is it operations? Like, where do you, where's most of your time
0: going? It's sales is a big chunk of it right now. Then the other part of it is, you know, helping, helping manage the team. So that could be, you know, client management, client communications, uh, executive sponsor for some of our clients that need it, Uh coaching and training with the team a little bit. I'm very fortunate that I've got some very strong people on our team, so I don't have to do a lot of that. Mm-hmm. But I jump in when they need me. Yeah. And like last thing on CRO, for
1: people that don't understand CRO split testing, like how do you even begin to educate them and like the value of it? Because sometimes it's hard until they really see it. But like what what's one way you you kind of get people's attention with it and the value of it?
0: Yeah. So let me try to think of how I do my sales pitch. So my sales pitches are all Q and A's, right? Like I don't really have, I don't pull up a deck. I don't pitch anything. I just say, let me, let let me learn about your business. I'll help you learn about our service. And then we'll see if there's a thing here. Right. I do it very like relatable because I don't want to get into business with people that I don't think will work well with or that understand the service. So like earlier today, the way that I explained it was, it's a very big brand I was talking to, but in their case, I'm like, listen, you're not running any tests, right? So you guys have been fortunate that you are growing, and that's great. But there are so many unknowns, right? Mm-hmm. And I, I kind of talked to them about, you know, one of their top-end products, and I just said, I said, well, why don't you, ta- as a CMO, I'm like, why don't you tell me about your product, right? And it was all feature-based. And so I just asked. I, I, said, I, said, I said, okay. I said, I, I definitely understand the product now, but what do I get out of it as a customer? hmm and you could just see that just that light, that, like, that slight tweak in mindset was enough for him to say, oh, shit, yeah. We're not talking about it that way at all. Mm-hmm. I said, no, you're not. I said, you're, you're in a great space for a product that is needed and people are identifying you as a solution because it's something that is needed. Yeah. Right? I said, but it's littered with competition, Mm -hmm. I said, so really it comes down to price. And you just told me you've been lowering your price. Like, why don't we talk about value? Why don't we talk about post-purchase life? Why don't we Mm -hmm. talk about all the great things this does for people that they're having to build in themselves to pull the trigger or they just go with you because it's the best price, right? And so it's kind of like that. Like I approach CRO in a very, you don't know what you don't know. And so we're going to test And determine that and figure it out for you.
1: Yeah. The unknown unknowns. That's a really cool frame. Well, one question I always like to ask, I'm always interested to hear the answer is as you look at your career, we can even go all the way back to you know, hustling for the boat to now. Like, (laughs) what's the nicest thing anyone's done for you in your professional career?
0: the nicest thing anyone anyone has done. I have two that have done the same thing. So they both took a shot. And -hmm. what I mean is this, I was 32. I got hired away from my own company by a fortune 500 company. Mm -hmm. They might've been bigger. That's why I hesitated. And my boss, at some point, I don't know, I don't know if I wrote an email. I don't know if I was just annoying him or what at like nine o'clock on a Monday told me I was headed to Coral Gables, Florida to our headquarters to pitch to Sprint for a Mm -hmm. service contract. Right. Yeah. And keep in mind, I was in it. Yeah. I I had zero right being there. Um, Yeah, Yeah. But it came, it came out from the CEO who I was in the boardroom with and, you know, meeting at the time, the owner of SoftBank and all this, who owned Sprint. He's like, yeah, Gene says you're like the smartest person he's ever met. And you came in and you saved us, you know, $22 million in cutting costs and IT and this and that. And he thought you just might be smart enough to help us put together a deck and pitch this thing. Well, him doing that gave me access to all of these very tenured experienced, you know, leaders. Mm -hmm. And they all, by way of that introduction, really helped me grow a lot. So like at early 30s, huge brand, very mature company, I just I ended up lucking out and getting access to asking as many dumb questions as I could and them helping me and guiding me, right? Yeah. So that's that was one thing. And then at that company I told you about with the defunct marketing team, mm-hmm. one of the B, one of the VPs who was not my boss at the time was like, "Let's just give him a shot. I'll own it. If he screws up, you can fire me." Mm-hmm. Wow. But, um, yeah. And he became a very, he's now one of my, he, he's a very, very close friend of mine. Um, mm-hmm. And it just worked out, right? He had my back. He helped me. He supported me. But, you know, absent him taking a shot, you know, I would have never got that chance or that experience and I wouldn't have built an awesome team and they wouldn't be with me here now. Yeah. That, so both that's times there people sticking cool. their sticking their neck out for me,
1: right? And it's like, what's the like more downside than upside for them? But the fact
0: that they they had no reason to do it.
1: Are, those are really cool stories, man. It's it's and like those little things are just like jumping off points to the next thing for like someone's career trajectory. So that's that, that's super cool, man. Um, yeah, it felt
0: special. It meant a lot. It still means a lot, obviously. Yeah. I mean, there are the things I remembered out of being and being working for so long,
1: right? Yeah, and well, especially in those phases of your career, because th- those things are are, are huge unlocks. Those are everything. Uh-huh. Um, that that's exciting, man. Well, cool. Well, as far as like closing out, like, where should we point people if they want to follow you or the content you put out there? I already kind of mentioned Twitter where people should go, and we could throw that hand. I'll put it in the show night show notes but where can people you know get in contact with you or follow you
0: but that's it just the x.com twitter that's it nowhere else I I don't have any other social media I mean I do but I don't do anything with them
1: (laughs) yeah well cool well Nick this was awesome man I feel like I learned a bunch from this but this is super fun to talk and kind of compare notes So, so really appreciate it
0: man I appreciate you having me it was a blast
1: I'll give a few plugs first I send a weekly newsletter each Thursday featuring five articles or tools that have helped me. You can sign up for these weekly updates at jimwhuffman.com. Second, for anyone running a startup, if you need help growing your business, check out Growth Hit. Growth Hit serves as your external growth team. After working with over 100 startups and generating a quarter billion in sales for clients, Growth Hit has perfected a growth process that's hell-bent on driving ROI through rapid experiments. Plus, you'll get to work with yours truly. So if you want to work with a team that's worked with startups that have been funded by Andreessen Horowitz or featured on Shark Tank, then check out growthhit.com. Are you a business owner in desperate need of talent, but you have issues finding good people or worse, you find the talent, but then they want you to pay them double. what you have budgeted? Yeah, I know the feeling. This is where remotely talents can help. Imagine having a personal HR team that finds you a plus talent. And here's the best part. It costs you 40 or even 80% less than us employees. It's magic. So let's say you need help with setting up your social ads, your Google ads, email marketing, website development, customer service, their team sources the top Ukrainian talent for you and they deliver three top vetted candidates straight to your inbox. It's a one-time payment and best yet, they give you a 60-day guarantee to ensure you're happy. Hey, if it doesn't work out, they'll find and replace the talent for free. Even better, 3% of all sales go to the children's hospital in Ukraine. At Growth Head, our agency, we've hired four people from Ukraine. I am blown away by the level of work we're getting. So whether you need a virtual assistant or a creative director, give this a try. Go to remotelytalents.com right now and start a conversation see if they can help you. You really have nothing to lose.